Living Wisely, Living Well, <clears throat> September 14. Love others as extensions of your own self. See everyone as specializing on behalf of the whole human race in being himself. Swamiji always really enjoyed the human comedy. It's the only way I can think to put it. He never had expectations of others that they should be really different than they are or better than they are. He had expectations more than expectations. He had a firm, unshakable belief that we were all expressions of God and that our ultimate destiny was bliss and that reaching that bliss was an absolute certainty. So whatever was happening, no matter how even grim and challenging and terrible, which it often is, it might be in the moment the end of everything was going to be divine joy. In fact, Swami had a very sweet and wonderful way of thinking about this. It wasn't, it wasn't a pretense. It was a true perception, which I've practiced and have found enormously helpful. He said whenever he would see someone suffering, and his heart, Swami had an extremely tender heart, his heart would go out in compassion for their suffering without the slightest hesitation. But he never, he never believed that the suffering of the present was the actual condition of that person. It was just a temporary stage that they were moving through because inevitably they would come to the bliss of God. And so he would sometimes say, and how much more glorious will be that bliss because of the strength of the darkness they're having to walk through now. So he would see it as a, a, a painting in progress. And perhaps the point of the, pace, the painting was going to be this tremendous burst of light, which was going to define the whole painting. But before that burst of light could be put into the picture, a very dark background had to be painted. So you could look at the painting before it was finished and think, oh, what a dark painting. But in fact, it was just laying the groundwork so that the light would be ever more glorious when it came. You know, all of us have an, an individual karmic destiny that we ourselves have set in motion, and now by the grace of God, we're moving from that delusion to unravel it. But every aberration, every wrong thought, every mistake that we've made, it just has to be corrected. It's, it's, like, it's just like a big knot that has to be untied. And when it's untied, you know, this, this length of unbroken string will be there. But while it's snarled up, you really can't see sort of the, the extension and the glory of it. And you have to just keep pulling at each of those pieces. Karmic knots is actually a phrase that's often used. And so each person, and this is just the most interesting and remarkable thing about humanity is how stunningly different we are. Sometimes I just enjoy sitting in a restaurant, sometimes even standing in front of, uh, in the front of the temple, of the Ananda Temple, where I, I have often given um, Sunday services or other programs. And I'll see all those people there, and you, it, being the speaker, it's a, actually it's a wonderful position because everybody's concentrating with their faces turned toward you. So I'm looking out, and what I see is this 
um, enormous focused energy. Um, when I'm speaking in the temple, there's a beautiful altar behind me and flowers and um, beautiful colored cloths and candles and pictures of the masters. So by no means is my little face the, the point of focus. And in many circumstances where you're speaking, people are looking at more than just you. But they're looking and they're concentrating and I can see them. And it's a, it's a God's eye view of humanity because the people who come to hear me speak are not coming for self-indulgence or for, or for loud, raucous m- music or to become inebriated or to have uh, raucous conversations with each other or arguments. They come to sit in silence and as much as we are able to attune ourselves to the power and the presence of the divine, to meditate, to concentrate at the spiritual eye, to listen to uplifting music, to listen, hopefully, to helpful words that sometimes I get the opportunity to articulate. And so they're offering their very best uplifted concentration. So I get to see everybody to a very large extent as their best selves. And it's wonderful because that's, that's the person that I, I, I know. It's like it's, something is revealed to me. It's actually been quite fun over the years because sometimes uh, as Ananda has grown and our temp- temple has expanded, sometimes I'll know people for many weeks as they sit silently in the temple looking in my direction while I'm talking for before I ever speak to them, before I ever actually hear the sound of their voice or exchange any, any personality with them. And sometimes people's personality is quite consistent with what they've shown, but sometimes it isn't consistent at all. And it always amuses me how many different dimensions we have within us and how all of them can be true at the same time just depending on what little karmic bubble we're caught in at the moment, what little trajectory we're working out, what desire we're pursuing, who we happen to be associated with at that period of time, what trials are weighing us down, what physical ailments we might be going through. But everybody's life experience is recognizable. You know, everybody's face is recognizable. All the faces are different. That's what I was saying a moment ago. It's sometimes, it's just such a marvel. They all look so different. They just all look so different. And you rarely can mistake this one for that one. Even identical twins or so on. You can, after a while, you begin to know who's who because we vibrate with our own unique vibration. But despite all these seeming differences... And despite the apparent separation, we are actually like the fingers of a hand. Whereas if you, if you look at the tips of the fingers, it appears as though there's a gap among us all. But if you go to the base of the finger and continue into the palm of the hand, you begin to realize that we all emanate from the same source. And even though there's an apparent separation, that's all that it is, is an apparent separation. And that in the spirit, in our origin point of divinity, we're all vibrating with the same power and presence of God. 
Swami Kriyananda used to like to visit Disneyland in Los Angeles. He had been a monk in Los Angeles uh, starting in 1948, and he lived in Los Angeles much of the time until 1962. And Disneyland, you know, grew up during those years and for the decades after. And in in the early years of Disneyland, it's not so now. It was very innocent when Walt Disney himself was in charge and the early Disney movies, he created, well, he called it the Magic Kingdom. He created an imaginary world which was not um, without its, its villains and not without its, without its adventures, but there was an, a beauty and an innocence to it. And he created a, uni- a culture. He did not borrow from the modern culture and bring it in. He, rather, was the innovating force. Um, And Disneyland itself was a self-contained reality based on his concept of what it should be. As time has passed, Disneyland has merged greatly with the modern culture. So it, it no longer has the same unique vibration that it used to have. But that's that's beside the point. But For many years, Swamiji really used to enjoy going there. He enjoyed the vision that was created there. And Disneyland was... And so when he would go to Los Angeles, which he would often do after Ananda started, after he ceased to live there, whenever we'd go there to give programs or to do business of any kind, very often we'd spend a day at Disneyland. And Swamiji knew the place very well. He had his favorite displays and rides, and he would lead us... And we would, I, we would run, sort of run behind him. And I remember this one particular trip in the 70s. And Swami was the leader. And there were about 13 or 14, 15 of us maybe. And we would literally hold hands and sort of run through because Swami would walk so fast and be so intent that we had to sort of stay together through the crowds just to keep up with him. It was really, really fun. Just super fun. That's the only word I can use. And we always really enjoyed, in the evening when it sunset came, they had what they called the electric parade. Maybe they still do. All the Disney characters would come out and they would have electrified suits on. It, I'm sure it looks quite crude in the 70s compared to what they can do now. But it was beautiful. It would be dark and all these lights would flash. And so everybody who was in Disneyland at that time would crowd and take a place on Main Street so you could see what they called Main Street, so you could see the parade. So about half an hour or so before it was time for it to start, our little crowd went to get a good viewing spot on the sidewalk. And we were standing there, and there were hundreds of people, and you began to be able to see the hundreds of people gathering from all over the world, speaking all different languages, different uh, ethnic and racial appearances, cultural costumes, it, it was it was the globe, the globe on Main Street at Disneyland. And all of a sudden, Swami became, as he often did, like his, his mood, his bhav, just shifted from ordinary playing in, in Disneyland into to some cosmic perspective. And just very quietly, but with deep, um, direct revelation, He looked at all those people and he said, imagine not merely loving all these people. He said, but actually being all these people. 
He said that was the state of consciousness that Master lived in all the time. And then somehow, as often happened with Swamiji, he transferred his perception and his consciousness to all of us, or at least to me, not completely by any means. But I remember specifically there was a Japanese family with a toddler and someone in a, I know they had two, they had two baby carriages, uh, strollers, a toddler and a smaller baby, and the mother and the father, you know, and they were all, they were Japanese, and so they didn't look, they didn't have the face that I have. And they were, they were moving their children like this. I thought of their country, I thought of the grandparents, I thought of the ancestors, I thought of the language, I thought of the children growing up. What kind of a world would they grow up into? Who would they be? What did they already know? What was their destiny? Just the whole thing just began to roll in front of me. And it was just, that was just one family. There were all these families around me. And all of us, we all just went suddenly into this completely other state of consciousness. And right there, we were standing on the sidewalk. We all just sat down on the sidewalk and and started meditating. Because you just couldn't help it. And the chaos of all the people talking around us and moving around us, because as we sat there, they gradually filled in around us. Instead of distracting, that was actually the meditation. Imagine not only loving these people, but actually being every one of these people. I mean, we're so committed to our own little self-definition. What if we were just at ease? What if we lived in the palm of the hand and had an equal relationship with all the fingers instead of clinging, you know, to the thumbnail of just one and defining that as who we were? So we meditated, I think, for about half an hour, just unmoving. And then the electric parade somehow started coming in the when the lights started flashing and so on, we all just stood up and sort of looked around and realized where we were, which is where we always are, which is in the presence of God, manifesting in countless ways all around us. We just don't realize it. And that is our goal in life, is to realize it. So here Swami says, Love others as extensions of your own self, see everyone is specializing on behalf of the whole human race in being himself. God bless you, my friends.